0: Alright, alright. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Uh, we you do the spiel, I guess. Thank you for listening. Sorry, that's not part of the spiel, that's genuine. I mean, it is part of the spiel, but... Uh, I tend to think of the spiel as something you kind of have to do. I thank you guys for listening, because it means a lot to me. Uh, the spiel is, you know, the boilerplate, and my gratitude, well, it is expressed as consistently as the boilerplate, at least I hope it's expressed as consistently as the boilerplate, is not part of the boilerplate. It's independent, and it comes from my heart, so thank you for listening. Um, as for the spiel, please interact with the product any way you can, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice, that is very, very helpful. If you've done any and all of that, share the show, tell people you listen, point people that you think might enjoy it in our direction, let me try and entertain and or annoy them. I will take annoyance. So if you're new to the show and a friend pointed you in this direction, I I hope they think you'll enjoy it. They might be relying on me to annoy you, and if you find me annoying, blame them. I've been doing this the same way for many, many years at this point. All right, on the agenda this evening... Uh we're in a trough, ladies and gentlemen, a trough between two crests. We are in the trough of a wave. UFC 284 was the crest, was a peak. It was a good event. Very good event. Uh well, very good might be a stretch. It was highlighted by two solid main uh, a solid main event, a solid co-main event, and there were a couple of other fights along that card that would have been very good fight night fights and they got put on the pay-per-view because oceanic region the timing etc cetera, etc cetera. and then on the horizon approaching another peak ufc 285 which again coming in a couple of weeks and is a decent card in between we had last night's event and this coming week's event and they are not good on paper and i can say fun, i can say categorically now that it's happened ufc on espn plus 77 was not very good in practice but we will be reviewing it and then previewing the other trough and again we've got a peak coming um the ufc's become a lot more their product i've mentioned this before like the quality it's always been a bit variable the variability the last couple of years seems to have increased. Like, you get some real highs, and you get some real lows. When it used to be, you didn't quite have the same lows. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, I'm not here to litigate all of them, I'm because I understand it. The UFC gets a lot of money from ESPN every year, and part of their part of what they have to do for that is produce a certain number of of events for the ESPN family of networks. That's ESPN Plus, ESPN proper. I think they count the ABC stuff cuz it also has an ESPN pay-per-views that in the U in the US at least are sold through the ESPN Plus service. So they have to hit a certain number and it's a fairly big number. And it's 40 something. I I don't know exactly, but it's 40 something. That's, they have to run an event almost every week in order to hit their mandatory minimums, to uh, their contractual obligations, to get paid their giant chunk of money from ESPN. And that's a lot of money. But if you're having a UFC event every week, basically, well, some of them just aren't going to be very good. Uh, the talent pool isn't quite there. The talent pool on the schedule isn't there. Like, it, this is just reality. And again, I understand it. I'm not saying how dare they. I'm not saying... I am observing the set of circumstances. So just lest, you be, lest I be accused of, like, dumping on the UFC just to dump on them. I'm not. I know how we got here. I know why we're here. And I'm not saying there's no benefit. I'm saying sometimes... Sometimes you get the low end, right? And this is the low end, and I don't feel bad about saying that. So we'll be talking about both of those, and... The only major news item I kind of feel like worth talking about, and maybe I can touch on, because I record these on Sunday evenings, the uh, the UFC rankings don't update before I record, so I can't always react to what they would be after the last event. Um, there was some pseudo-kerfluffle around, because uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, despite losing to Islam Mikashev, UFC 284, retained the number one pound-for-pound spot. And there was some dishing about it. Um, it largely comes down to what your criteria is for a pound-for-pound discussion. I'm not convinced that pound-for-pound is a worthwhile discussion to have. I'm not against it, necessarily. I've just never been presented a clear case for the the benefit to its existence. I suppose would be the way to phrase that. Uh however, I'm perfectly willing to accept that under a certain criteria for rating pound for pound, Volkanovsky, despite the loss, could still be rated as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. That that I don't think that's impossible. But like there's no there's no transparency here. In fact you know what? because I'm going to talk about Islam Makhachev and a little bit of the stuff around him that's the only other that's the only major news item. Let me let me save this until then because I I turns out as I got going there a little bit I do have something to say about it so we'll talk. We will talk a little bit about that at that point so. Yeah, that's it. Should be a relatively short show. Let's not belabor the point too much. All right. You've seen ESPN Plus 77. Uh, your main event Heck of a performance here from Erin Blanchfield. She defeats Jessica Andraj via rear naked choke, 137 of the second. Um, that's only Andraj's second ever loss at uh, Flyweight. The only other woman to beat her at Flyweight was
1: Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, that's not her first submission loss. Um yeah, this was just a... This was a really good performance out of
0: Blanchfield. Um, Andrade struggled a bit with the range. Look, credit to Jessica Andrade. I mentioned this. like She took this fight on 10 days notice, I think. Something like that. Like, short notice. She was... I don't think she was really all the way there I'm not saying that in a rematch the fight wouldn't go very similarly it very well might I'm saying like to try and explain the specifics of what we saw here Andrade like she didn't look all the way there she didn't look like she was peaked she didn't look like some of this is Blanche Field being very good some of this was Andrade like not being as sharp as she's looked in the past she landed some pretty good punches actually throughout the first, in spots in the first round. Blanchfield did a little bit of the Rosenama thing, where you had a little bit of darting in and out, landing punches at longer range, and then kind of fading back to avoid the counters. Part of the problem with that style as it relates to Andrade is it can, uh, like, it'll work, but you have to be on the ball consistently. Because she's always going to be coming back at you, and if your feet aren't there the whole time, then you get clocked. This happened both times that Rose fought Jessica Andrade. It was more evident in their second fight than in their first, but the general thing is still there. And towards the end of the the latter half of that round, Blanchfield's feet weren't quite there. And Andrade started hitting her with counters. And that's a dangerous thing. Now, I still think, I still think Blanchfield took the first. I think she did. She landed the better shots in general, and I think she was the more active. But like, wasn't that wasn't the cleanest thing, cleanest work I've ever seen her. Uh, th- th- that's not the cleanest I've ever seen someone fight Andraj. Second round, Blanchfield gets a little bit back to work, but again, Andraj has a bit of a feel for this now, so. Uh, Blanchfield, being smart and a very good grappler, gets a body lock, gets an inside trip, gets on top, passes effortlessly. I mean, just like butter. Then Andrade gives at the back, tries to get to the fence to look for a wall walk, and Blanchfield's back takes are just... This one here was just lights out. Like a snake, man, just boom. Gets on the back, gets the choke, forces the tap. Um, yeah, really, really good. It's hard to overstate the value of this win for Blanchfield. Now, a couple of things, because I'm me, I'm critical. A couple of things to note here. Now, Blanchfield is young, so there's time to kind of iron these things out. But if I'm going to talk about takeaways from this for Blanchfield, like, what do you want to work on? Her striking looked better than I thought it would. I mean, we hadn't seen her engage in really prolonged striking exchanges yet. So, getting to see that, few things. Her her, dist- her read on distance is okay. I'd need to see her fight someone who's a little bit better in that respect than Andrade. Andrade is... The height and reach disparity kind of exacerbates this problem, but if you've never fought or sparred someone who's a lot kind of shorter than you are, you won't appreciate this. But fighting someone with when you've got that kind of height and reach It tends to make you, it can make you look better than you are. Uh, This sounds like I'm bagging on Blanchfield, but hear me out here. Because the mechanics involved are more favorable. Now, there are plenty of shorter fighters who will ruin your day, right? This is not me saying that you can't be beaten by a shorter guy. It is me saying if you're fighting someone who's shorter than you, and you've
1: got some decent mechanics that can make them look better uh and it did here
0: if i so couple of th- again the things to take away if you're Blanchfield to kind of work on her footwork was good i think the problem was the problem she started again the problem she started running into was she got a little bit like Plant like getting a little bit settled to throw, or when she landed, and then wasn't mobile enough to get out of the way of the counters as the fight kind of wore on. So something to watch. Got to stay disciplined. There's a stiffness to her upper body when she strikes. I don't mean like waist up. I mean specifically like shoulders and head. There's kind of a stiffness there for her. Now this is a this is a comfortability thing. You see the the people who've been doing this for a long time. And the way that they move, but you know, again, the like the the woman. So I So this this is gonna sound weird, but when I say the bust, I mean like the you know, like a uh an artistic bust, right? You get like the shoulders, the the upper part of the clavicle, the neck, and the head. So that when I say like that part of the body, the people who've been doing striking for a really long time, especially with you know, coaches who know how to do this kind of thing. They get very smooth with that. Blanchfield's very stiff in that area still. It's just a rep thing. Like, you just get... Again, you get more reps, you get more time. That'll come. But it's there at the moment, and this was the first time I kind of really got to watch it. So, there's that. Something Something to watch. Anyone of about her size in this same position would have been landing on Blanchfield a lot more. Now... Maybe some of her choices were predicated on the physicality of Jessica Andrade. I'm a little bit hesitant to give her that pass because Andrade was not her opponent originally. She was supposed to fight Tyler Santos, who's much closer to her frame. That might have gone a lot... Look, I picked Andrade, um, and I said I would have picked Blanchfield to beat Santos, and I still think that's true. I think Santos is not quite as stout at stopping the takedown as maybe she'd need to be against Blanchfield. However, big caveat here. Santos is a bit more polished on the feet than Blanchfield is. Blanchfield came into this fight, even when it was against Santos, pretty clearly knowing I'm going to have to strike. I can't just shoot from distance. That's not going to work. So she'd worked on her striking. It was in a better place. And I'm not saying she would this version of her would have lost to Santos. I don't think that's true either. I am saying she would have been touched up a lot more and had to maybe do things a little differently quicker to deal with Santos than she did to deal with Andrade. So, again, things to work on. She is an absurdly talented fighter. It's mostly still grappling, though. And her takedowns, her takedowns are pretty good. There's still there's not a lot of genuinely great takedown artists at women's flyweight. Um, There was a weird stat that came out that I heard about um, the first fight between, sorry, the fight between Andrade and Valentina Shevchenko. Um, This was very similar to the takedown that Shevchenko hit on Andrade, by the way. Um, But notably, Shevchenko not only went not only got every takedown she attempted on Andrade, she hit seven of them. Their fight also ended in the second, but in that fight, Shevchenko went seven for seven on takedowns. Andrade, because she's compact, it's hard to shoot a double on her. And the kind of default clinch... Takedowns that a lot of female fighters go for don't work on Andrage all that well. Again, it's a it's a size thing. It's a build thing. But she does seem to struggle a little bit with people who can get a body lock and then attack the legs. Um Blanchfield, she didn't get every takedown she attempted. Um she got one I think early in the first, but couldn't hold it. Then the one in the second obviously led to the finish. Or the one she... Is she maybe, didn't she get one in the first? I can't remember. I think if she got one in the first, it was very, very brief and led to nothing. Uh, but she was trying it a... She tried a different tactic in the first, and it didn't quite work. Uh, again, the one she got in the second, like that was, that was nice. It was real nice. But that might be a thing Andrade has to work on a little bit, is uh, you know, being mindful of her legs while fighting in the clinch at the same time. Um, Blanchfield says she wants a title shot after this. You could give it to her. You really could. Like beating Jessica Andrade is a hard thing to do, uh, especially at flyweight or strawweight. That's real hard. She did it. She did it uh, pretty darn cleanly too. Like that first round, it it was it wasn't it wasn't a blowout. Like it was a competitive enough round. But this was Blanchfield's fight, and she might still have to fight one more time. There's a couple of things at play here. So we've got Manon Fior, who's on a an identical winning streak to Blanchfield. I don't think Fior excuse me. I don't think Fjord has fought the same level of opposite has Blanchfield really fought better. Well, Andraj is a better singular win than anyone Manon Fior has fought. Um Fior, was her last fight? Yeah, she beat Chait- Caitlin Chukagian. Also not easy, just for the record. Um, yeah, they're both undefeated in the UFC. They're both, I think, five on five fight winning streaks.
1: Um, you got Tyler Santos out there. Now, Santos has a fight. Um, Santos's next fight... Is against... Am I blanking? Uh, Because she was supposed to fight Andrade. No, sorry. It's not supposed to fight Blanchfield. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Sorry, I'm blanking on at
0: least one woman in this equation, and I don't know who it is. So we don't quite know what's up with Santos. They might try to rebook... They might. Might. Rebook Santos and Blanchfield. uh, Give Fior the next title shot. Uh, Or they might do Santos and Fior and give Blanchfield a title shot. Alexa Grasso is fighting Shevchenko next, and she could throw a giant monkey wrench into all of this. I don't favor her to do that,
1: but she could. She's very good. Uh... Blanchfield... I feel pretty confident she will wear gold at some point.
0: I don't know exact. I don't know if it's going to be in her first attempt. Like If she does get the next shot at Shevchenko, and again, have to see how Shevchenko looks against Grosso, because Valentina did not look especially great against Santos. Whether that was, you know, an injury or just one of the off nights that happen when you do this all the time, like, I don't know exactly. Uh... The version of Shevchenko that fought Santos, if that fights Blanchfield, even this version, that's probably going Blanchfield's way. Like, that's how good she is. So, gotta wait and see how that pans out. You got Fiore up there. Does she have a fight next? I, I'm gonna double-check this. Uh, Doesn't look like we have... Doesn't that look like we currently have a next fight for Manon Fiore. Um, again, I mentioned already, she fought uh
1: Caitlin Chukagian. That was uh when that was October of last year. So she hasn't been out for too long, but you know, that's We're at the four ish
0: month mark. Might be about time we get that announced, assuming there's no injury or anything like that. I mean uh, that's an assumption on my part. So, finally getting some... Uh, oh, Suarez. Is
1: Tatiana Suarez coming back at flyweight? I uh, believe she is. Because her... Yeah, she's
0: fighting Montana De La Rosa, actually, at this upcoming card. Should double check that first. Uh, anyway. Suarez, if she if she's healthy, I mean, she's been dealing with that kind of horrible neck injury for a long time. If she's fully back, like I expect her to beat, a minor spoiler for my preview of that fight, uh, which will be coming up, but I expect her to beat Montana De La Rosa. Um, Suarez's name might be in that discussion sooner rather than later. Um, so women's flyweight, finally kind of starting to gain a little bit of a little bit of momentum here uh setback for andrage if she wants to stick around at flyweight she'd been making noise about going to strawweight um she might have done she kind of did this as a solid to the ufc in fact she might have really needed the money if some of her interviews are to be are accurate so new deal and you know if you need the money you need the money uh but if if she's serious about going back to strawweight and taking a run at Zhang Wei Lee for a rematch, I don't hate that fight for the record. I don't hate a, thir- a second fight between those two. Um, so If she's not sticking at flyweight, not too detrimental to Andrade, but uh, it's never good to lose. So yeah, that was your main event. Um, There was someone on Twitter, I believe it was RJ Clifford, who looked at the... A couple of weeks ago, when the u f c threw up the graphic for the main card for this one, it might have been at two eighty four actually since so just last week, I believe he tweeted, You won't f- it's hard to think of a better card, a better main card primed for first round finishes than this one. My friend, you could not have been more wrong, not a single first round finish, and in fact, every other fight on the main card we're about
1: to talk about was a decision so let me say this about the next three fights. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly. Your co-main event, Zach Pauga de, uh, Ponga, sorry, he's, um,
0: I forget which islander he is. He's, he's got a Pacific Islander uh, heritage. And putting the, like, AUG does put an N in there Um, when you say it. So I, I forget, again, I, I apologize. I forget which, uh, which exactly, you know, island tribe. Because I, I don't think it's Samoan. I, that might be Tongan. Might be a Tongan thing. But anyway, that. So Ponga, there's again, kind of an end there. Uh, he defeats Jordan Wright via unanimous decision, 230-27, 129-28. Uh, Jamal Pugs defeated Josh Parisian via unanimous decision, 230-27, 129-28. And Martin Procneo defeated William Knight, unanimous decision, three thirty-twenty sevens. This might be the worst three fight stretch in UFC main card history. Like uh, and Okay, maybe if we wanted to go like into some weird times in the early UFC with a couple of tournament fights. Or again, like if you want to get real obscure, you can challenge that point. To my recollection. I'm not saying that's the worst three-fight stretch in UFC history, because that encompasses a lot of fights, and I'm not entirely sure that would be true. I can't recall a worse set of three fights on the main card of a UFC event. There have been some stinkers, man, but it's usually been broken up by at least one or two fights somewhere in there. These three in a row, they all sucked. Um, Ponga over Wright. Wright just had no answer for the clinch. So Ponga just kept pushing him there and kind of beating him up. Watch the first round of this, and you'll know exactly what happened to the rest of it. Uh, Jamal Poogs and Josh Parisian wasn't great. Um, looked like Parisian might be starting a rally. In fact, doing it live, I think I scored this for Parisian, but I, I'm not going to rewatch it to nitpick my score. Because I'm not going to put myself through watching this fight again. Um... Suffice to say, on reflection, first of all, even in real time, didn't object to to Jamal Poog's winning. No objection to it. I'm not up in arms. I wasn't quite sure on the 30-27s. I'm going to stand by being unsure on the 30-27s, but I'm going to say, but again, I don't think it's un. I don't think you can, I don't think it's an indefensible card. So, no issues with that. This was just crappy heavyweights. Then oh by oh sorry uh, Ponga I think I mentioned it Ponga and and Wright were light heavyweights. Then our other light heavyweight fight, Marching Prakneo defeated William Knight via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. I gave 10 ten eights in all three rounds, and I will stand by that. This is one of the wor- this is currently my front runner for worst fight of the year. This was a lot of Prakneo on the outside. Darting in and out, throwing leg kicks, and a lot of William Knight doing nothing. Uh, that's it. I think I, I think between rounds two and three, I called William Knight basically a heavy bag because that's all he was like. I'm I don't pretend to be a professional fighter. I don't pretend to be a tough guy. I mean, again, I do some training. I'm well aware that I'm not a tough. I'm not the toughest of guys. So understand something that when I say if I'd been in there instead of William Knight, at a bare minimum, it would have been over quicker. <laughs> this was painful. This fight sucked. Here's here's the flip side to this, okay? So William Knight put out a video after the fact. Uh, it might have been an Instagram live thing, whatever. He has a video out where he says, people are mad at me for this fight and they have a right to be and no let me I, I don't agree let me come back to that he also said like he's received death threats apparently and guys guys people what the heck so know to the extent that my voice matters in this let me, let me do a couple of things here people first you don't actually have a right to be mad at William Knight for what he did you can say the fight sucked I did I'm not mad at him in this, like, I'm in some kind of, like, how dare you? No, I'm not, I'm, there are people who are apparently, I'm not, I'm not that. Fight sucked. Say the fight sucked and move on. Here, here's something else, a, a thought for you people out there. If a fight is boring you, and I'm not pulling a Dana White here, okay? This might sound like I'm pulling a Dana White, Listen, listen to me very carefully. All right, Dana's spiel is, well, if you don't like it, don't watch it, no one's asking you to, right? It, from the promoter, by the way. Not asking you to watch, sure you're not. Here's my thing about this, and I mean this.
1: If a fight you're watching is boring you, stop watching it. I had... I'm going to be brutally honest about this card. If
0: I wasn't covering it, I would not have watched it. There were some other things I could have been doing with my time. There would have been a better use of my time. That I would have enjoyed more. This is my job. If it wasn't my job, I wouldn't have watched it. Because it looked bad. And it was bad. If you are not like me, if you're not getting paid for this, again, if it's not your job and you're not enjoying
1: it come back in th- 20 minutes right you you figure about a 30 minute
0: block of time for each non-title for each non five round fight because that's three five minute rounds plus introductions plus a minute in between and post fight right all told figure 30 minutes if you get into the first round and the fight is terrible, you can stop watching. And I'm not If you're one of these like petulant, angry people and you and you're getting up in arms over this, like maybe I am condescending to you just a little bit. If you're a if you're not quite that far gone and you're just angry about this fight sucking, this is me giving you I've been here for a while, guys. I mean, for a lot of years, not as long as others, longer than most. You have my permission to stop watching a fight that is boring and that you don't want to watch. You get out of the first round of this fight and you went, boy, that was awful. I don't want to watch this anymore. Watch something else for the duration of what that fight would be. Come back, see the next fight. Unfortunately, in this case, if we're doing this chronologically, you would have then watched, you know, Poogs and Parisian and then Ponga and Wright, so it was a rough stretch. But you're not, there's no one with a gun to your head saying, watch this or else. I think that's that's not reality. If you're not enjoying an event, stop watching it. Your relationship with. People who watch every card... And I say this as someone who watches every card, by the way. Because, again, job. Like, I watch every fight on every card. I do not have a healthy relationship with this. It's not healthy. I acknowledge this. I go through periods where I'm burned out. I go through periods where I'm down on the sport. And then, you know, something good comes along. But I I don't pretend that this is... The healthiest way. And if I... Wasn't this wasn't part of my job? I probably wouldn't watch several of these cards, and certainly several of these fights. I wouldn't block out six hours every Saturday, pretty much, because that's what these are, start to finish. Yeah, I figure six hours of broadcast time. Kind of how that works out. Some are more. I've never, I've not really had one be less. Not really. Uh, so. If you get to a point where you feel compelled, where, you, where you're really angry, just stop. But do something else for 20 minutes and come back. There'll be another fight. And oh, but
1: there could be a knockout. Catch the highlights. Find the clip on Twitter. Like, It's not worth it, guys. If
0: If your relationship with MMA is so damaged that you send death threats to a fighter over a boring fight... That's a you problem, not a William Knight problem, and I'm not
1: defending this fight. It was awful. I'm saying, like, you process this, man. Or if you're one of these people, and this apparently happens a lot,
0: if you're one of these idiots, and yes, I'm going to insult you people out there if you do this, who sends, like, angry, personal messages two fighters because they lost a fight that you gambled on? What's the matter with you? One, you probably shouldn't gamble. If you're not emotionally or financially stable enough to deal with losing, like, if you, let's take Twitter, right? If you bet, say you bet on Jessica Andrade, she was the favorite, I, she closes the favorite. If you go on Twitter and are pissed and just say, well, you know, that sucks, I'm out of money, yada, yada, yada. Tweet it out into the world, expunge it from your system, fine. If you're the kind of person who tags a fighter in that, you're kind of a jerk. Right? They don't need you to tag them. They know they lost. They were there. You don't have to tag them. And if you direct message them, whatever the service happens to be, or whatever the
1: whatever the initialization is, what is the matter with you? Seriously. Stop that.
0: I'm not entirely convinced you're a fully civilized individual, and maybe you shouldn't have certain technological privileges. Stop it. Don't do that. That fighter got physical trauma, and their paycheck cut in half, and they might get fired because of Dana, White's, because Dana White has a bad night at the blackjack table and wants to take it out on somebody. Their lives are balanced on enough knife edges as it stands. They don't need you harassing them. Stop it. And no, you don't... Again, William Knight going, people have a right to feel angry. No, they don't. No, they don't. Look, I can be annoyed that the fight sucked. I was. If I bored me, it was a bad fight. I'm not angry at William Knight. I don't have a right to be. What does he owe me? Understand this about fighters, people. I'm going to stick up for them a little bit here.
1: They don't owe you anything. Nothing. There is no agreement between you and the fighters. They owe you nothing. Straight up, nothing. They owe the promotion, getting in the cage and fighting. That's all
0: they owe. And William Knight got in that cage and allegedly fought. That's it. That's the extent of this transaction. Right? They don't owe you, the fans, their blood or their livelihood or their health. These are byproducts of their chosen profession. And they are not owed. It's incidental cost. It is not owed to the fans. It's not even technically owed to the promoters. Again, their effort is owed to the promoters. How much effort, well, that remains to be seen. And whether or not the UFC chooses to continue that relationship, they probably won't. I imagine they're going to cut him after this. And I'm not I'm not crying over that. I'm not interested in watching this guy fight again. I mean, he's a physical specimen, and he could probably turn me inside out if he felt so inclined. But his fights have not been good, and he had, like, the worst weight miss in UFC history... And he tried to weigh in for a light heavyweight fight, like 16 pounds heavy. They're probably going to choose not to do business with him in the future, which is their prerogative.
1: And, again, that's it. Like, You're not... We don't have a right to be
0: angry at fighters for how they choose to fight. I don't care if you're watching, I don't care if you paid for a ticket. You paid to watch them fight. How they fight is their business, not yours. And there can be consequences to this. I'm not saying there aren't consequences. If that means you choose not to watch fights with this, with certain fighters, okay? Cool. That's your prerogative, guys. I, and I support you being selective in this respect. Knock yourselves out. But harassing fighters over this kind of stuff is just... It's just pathetic. Stop it. All right, and... Kicking off the main card, Alexander Hernandez defeated Jim Miller via unanimous decision, 230 27s, 129 28. Um, the 30 30-27s, 129-28. The 30-27s, I don't think, sit quite right with me. Uh, I can see the argument for Hernandez in the first, but I thought Miller should have taken that round. I think I gave Hernandez two and three, though. So I'm not objecting to him winning. The 30-27 again, that doesn't seem quite right. Um, Solid performance out of Hernandez. Uh, I might have given Miller the third on the strength of a back take and a choke attempt late in the third. I forget, and I'm not going to bother to look it up, because it doesn't. My unofficial scoring doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't object to Hernandez winning at all. You know, Hernandez had a pretty good jab working here. Um, he fought a lot of orthodox to Miller's southpaw, and Hernandez normally does a lot of southpaw work, so it was an interesting choice. I think he was worried about the calf kick, and Miller, Miller's inside calf kick is still a, it was still a weapon, but it's not nearly the weapon that, uh, that it would be. He doesn't fight a lot of southpaws. But when he does, he chews up that lead leg. I think he was kind of worried about that, so he chose to fight open stance. Still got his jab to work. He got hit a few times, um, but he stayed composed. The the big thing here for me was, you know, Hernandez usually has a good first round and then kind of falls apart. He didn't fall apart here completely, so good on him. Uh, Some improvement there. He said after the fact he wants to go back to 145. Um, He took this fight on short notice, replacing Gabriel Benitez. Um, I don't know how much I like his odds at featherweight. There's some guys at featherweight who push murderous paces. Like, he, he won that first round against Billy Quarantillo. But Quarantillo's pace and pressure just utterly broke him. Just melted him. There's a lot of guys at featherweight who do that kind of stuff. So I don't know about his fortunes, but if he wants to give it another try, fine. Give it another try. Um, I never like seeing Jim Miller lose, but he came close in that third round, man. He got a back take and a choke attempt that it wasn't the closest choke attempt you'll ever see someone get out of, but it was pretty good. And Hernandez fought through it. So, you know, Uh, I mean, I love Jim Miller. At this point he wants to be on UFC three hundred,
1: which would be Oh, is that next year? I think they're I think the general schedule for it is next year. Because we're gonna get how far are we gonna
0: get this year? We got two eighty eight in May. It yeah, it would be sometime next year, and you know what? I don't see any problem. Look, Miller's not a title threat. He's not pretending to be. He's not fighting, you know, the upper tier guys. He's fighting lower end guys. A few guys that are about, you know, his, not a lot of people have about his mileage and his tenure, but people in that range or being a solid test for guys, either debuting or with like one fight in the promotion. You know what? If that's the level he's comfortable fighting at, if he wants to stay there and get to UFC 300, that would be a milestone for him because he would be the only fighter to fight at UFC 100, 200, and 300. As it stands, only two fighters fought at both UFC 100 and UFC 200, Jim Miller and Brock Lesnar. I don't think the UFC would bring bring back Brock for UFC 300, although crazier things have happened, but... If Miller wants to, if he's able to stick around and I mean, he can't go on some epic losing streak, but he had like three or four in a row coming into this and he fought a fairly talented guy. So, you know, if he's able to hang around, put him on UFC 300. This sport gives us precious few kind of emotional feel good moments. Miller at this point wanting to be the only guy on all of the on 100, 200 and 300. Why not? Again, if he starts going on a big losing streak, we might have to revisit this, but as things currently stand, I don't see a problem with it. But that was your main card. Again, man, those middle three fights just sucked. Uh, Pracnio and Knight, again, the worst fight of the year thus far, and those other two only looked decent by comparison to it. On the prelims, uh, this was your fight of the night, actually. Nazim Sadakov defeated Evan Elder via Dr. Stoppage, 38 seconds into round three. Um, This really sucked for Elder. I, I kind of think part of the fight of the night... You could have given fight of the night to this or Hernandez and Miller, and either one would have been okay. I feel like they went with this one because Elder kind of got... When I say he got hosed, I don't mean that there was any mis- any like bad calls made here. I mean, it just kind of sucks. Um, he and Sadikov went after it. Uh, Sadikov had a lot of pressure. Some good kicks. They, again, this was a good fight. This deserves to be fight of the night, not complaining about it. I had Elder up two rounds going into the third, as did all of the official judges. I saw some people at it in 1919. I don't think that's wrong. Um, Elder dropped Sadikov in the first. I think he dropped him again in the second. Or he... And no, no. The second was... Um, he did land some good punches, but he got a takedown and had some good control and good ground and pound. Like, enough to win the round. Um, these Again, they had a good fight going here. Third round. Sadikov southpaw. And he throws a head kick at Elder. Elder's right hand is up and kind of takes a good chunk of the shin. The problem is he kind of moved in a little bit and the knee or like very high up on the shin, like right by the knee, hit him above the right eye. And it caused a
1: horrible cut that caused the fight to be stopped. And again,
0: it sucks for Elder who was winning this fight officially. And you never like to see a fight stopped by a cut. It always feels... It's rarely, it very rarely feels great. Um, that said, I got one look at the doctor. Came, like, the ref sees the cut. As soon as they get kind of into a clinch scenario after it happens, he pauses the action like, Doc, come look at this. Um, the doctor comes in, cleans the like gauze to cut, so I can get a good look at it, looks at this thing and goes, no, we're done. Very, like, that's one of the fastest fight. That's one of the fastest fight stoppages I've ever seen from a cut. Like the doc looks at it, goes, "Nope," and no hemming and Hong, no nothing. Just nope. We're done. I've seen a few others that were similar. If you if you haven't seen the actual stoppage in the fight between Randy Couture and Vitor Belfort, um. Belfort had a like the seam of his glove cut Randy right around the eyelid. The doctor and Randy tells the story, and you can again you can see it if you you watch the fight. Doc comes in, you know, the ref calls for Doc, come take a look at this. Doctor looks at it and goes, Nope. That's almost your eyelid off. We're done Which is a very fair like that's one of those lines, man. Uh frequently you get a little bit more hemming and hawing or, you know, I look at it, clean off a little more blood, like double check a few things and there was none of that here now apparently dana white was in attendance and said he didn't like the stoppage he went back to see elder being sewn up and got a look at the cut closer up and he posted pictures of this and says wasn't sure on the stoppage guess i'm gonna shut up you're not because you never do but yeah so if you want to see this um, I think I retweeted them, so if you follow me on Twitter, you might see them. Uh, the cut is, again, it's a, it's like, it's across the eyebrow, so diagonally kind of across it. And it goes towards the underside. In fact, if you see the cut, a couple of things. One, you can actually see there's an artery that runs right around there. You can see the artery. It didn't get perforated. Um, you, it, it's, Is that the same one you can see on RoboCop? It might be the same one you see on Gregory Rodriguez when he had that, like, cyborg visor split on the bridge of his nose. Um, if not, it's very similar. You can see the edge of that artery. and An exposed artery will get a fight stopped, as it should. Um, the other thing about this cut is you can see the edge, the upper edge of the orbital bone, so you can kind of see the skull. And there's a big part of the deep cut that goes like, under it and behind, like kind of back towards behind your eye. Like no, this fight should have been stopped. That's a horrible cut in a terrible location. Like no, that's a fight stopper. Sucks. Again, that sucks for Elder, man. I feel, he was fighting a very good fight. It was back and forth. It was action packed. Um but that's a fight-ending cut. This is why you Okay, people Again, I don't know how many of you who listen to me train. If you're trying to block a head kick, you need both hands. This is part of the reason why. If you don't have both of them up, there's still a lot of bone coming at your head. Because he had one hand up. Like, that could have been... He might have been knocked out if his right hand's not there to kind of absorb some of the blow. But his left hand is nowhere near the equation. If that's up there as well, then none of that stuff gets close to his face. Then you, you still have the force displacing you, but you're not getting cut. And you get to kind of redirect it because you know, the hand in front... When If you hear Daniel Cormier talk about this, he references one of... You need both hands up. He calls the other one the guide hand because you're supposed to kind of move the force a little bit with that second one. It's whichever one's generally generally, don't kill me for this one, generally it's the hand that's in the lead. Uh, so, if I, again, if we're open stance, I'm orthodox, your south southpaw, and you throw the left high kick at me, my left hand is up as well, and you want that left hand to kind of direct some of the force. So it takes it and then kind of moves it. Again, Cormier calls it the guide hand, without actually explaining it when he's on commentary, because why would he? Um, How is it Benny Arcadis talks about it? Um, oh, yeah, he likens it to, um, some people liken it to holding a baseball bat. Uh, the way Arcadis talks about it is you actually want your knuckles kind of touching. So, if again, if I'm orthodox, the right-hand palm is facing me, left-hand palm is out, but the left hand's a little bit further out, so your knuckles are more together. And that's how you kind of want to take it. And, yeah, he didn't. And stopped the fight, really unfortunate for him. Got the post-fight bonus, though, which is more than he'd make him, like, four fights anyway, because I believe he came from the Contender Series, so. Yeah, um, Sadikov, it sucks to win a fight you're losing like this, but he didn't look bad up until this point. Uh, again, he was losing, but he was game. So, uh, yeah. You fight of the night, no issues with it. Gnarly cut if you're kind of a gore hound, go look it up. Uh yeah, good fight. Uh, women's bantamweight, Myra Buena Silva defeated Lena Landsberg via knee bar, 4:46 of the second. Love a good knee bar. Um, Buena Silva was kind of better everywhere anyway. She was winning at distance when they tied up. They were trading knees and elbows. Buena Silva gets a takedown, gets the back. Looks to choke, looks to go for an armbar. She's losing position. Landsberg comes out on top, looks to stand. Kind of re-enters, and then she re-enters, Buena Silva uses, I think it was reverse De La Jiva, The De La Jiva guard. I get them confused sometimes, so forgive me. Uses that, inverts for the leg, gets deep on it, is able to stretch it out. Uh, nice knee bar. Buena Silva said she would like a title shot next. Uh, no, sorry, she did not want the title fight. I think she called out either Juliana Pena or Raquel Pennington. I am and she wants to get to the title. Hey my memory's clicking a little bit. Um, she kind of called out a lot of the women for not being finishers, and she's got a decent finishing rate. in fact, she has seven of her ten wins, seven are by submission. Yeah, she call She likened herself to Charles Oliveira, which, yeah, a bit much. But the sentiment is uh,
1: not entirely inaccurate. Uh, I'm fine with her. She's due a step up. I mean, her UFC record is. She's been here for a while. It's pretty done good, actually. Um,
0: she submits Jillian Robertson. She loses to Marina Moroz. Beats Mara Borella Romero. Or Romero Borella, excuse me. Fights to a draw with Montana De La Rosa, which became a draw because she grabbed the fence. Uh, shouldn't do that. Loses to Manon Fior. It was a clean loss. Then is currently on a three-fight winning streak with wins over Wu Yanan. I was up at Bantamweight. Oh yeah, that was back at bantamweight. She tried flyweight for a while. So, actually, at bantamweight, she's undefeated. Um, at flyweight, she had again the loss to Maroz and Fiore. At bantamweight, she's never lost. Uh, wins over Wu Yanan, Stephanie Egger, and now Lena Landsberg. Yeah, um, I'm okay with her taking her calling for a big step. I don't know that I'd favor her over either Pennington or Pena. Maybe over Pennington, that's a stylistic thing, not me dumping on Pennington um, but she wants if I may use the colloquialism, she wants all the smoke, so good honor uh featherweight Jamal Emmers defeated Hussein Ashkabov. unanimous decision thirty twenty seven across the boards. this was um this uh, this wasn't great um Ashkabov came into this undefeated at twenty three and zero now, I think by everyone's admission, there was a like no one was pretending he was fighting world beaters here, which is fair like his record was a lot of people with um again a lot of lower level stuff out of like the regional scene in the middle east because uh, he fights out of the u a e so places in, like morocco um in the u a e places like that. Um, Jamal Emers is not exactly top-tier UFC material. In fact, his UFC record is now 2-2. Two and two,
1: And he'd been out of action since August of 21. Um, so the way Ashkabov
0: responded to how this fight went, like, the longer it went, the worse it got for him. Not a great sign. Um, that said, this was a very, this was a very emotional thing for Emmer's. I hope I'm not confusing him with someone else, with another fighter for whom this was true. But he, uh, he had a very humble post-fight speech. That was poogs It was Poogs who did this in front of his parents. His mother had just completed her cancer treatments, uh, which was great. Um, Emmer's talked a little bit about just some, you know, life kind of kicking his butt over the last little bit. Put over every one of his coaches individually by name, which was a real nice thing to see, so good on him. Uh, light heavyweight, Felipe Linz defeated Ovin St. via they listed his knockout. I'm not sure I agree. Uh, punches, 49 seconds of the first. Um, Ovin St. Pruvia is 40. It's probably about time for him to be done. Uh, nice stuff from Linz here. He knew St. Pru would be kicking. Waits for a kick to come. Fires a counterpunch. Hurts him. Gets on, uh, gets against him on the fence and just unloads. Never lets him recover. Gets him to make a mistake. Trying to exit. Drops him. Uh, Linz looks a little bit reborn at light heavyweight under the UFC banner. Um, I mean, he had a good heavyweight... He had a good record at light heavyweight before moving to heavyweight. Like His early stuff is all light heavyweight, including some time in Bellator where he got run over by Vadim Nemkov at one point, actually. He moves up to heavyweight to fight in the PFL, uh, wins their 2018 tournament, comes to the UFC, goes 0-2 as a heavyweight, drops back to light heavyweight, and he's looked pretty... he's looked okay. I mean, he's only two fights into his light heavyweight campaign in the UFC, but... Looks a lot better than he did fighting at heavyweight. He looks a lot better. Uh, welterweight, AJ Fletcher defeated Themba Gorimbo via guillotine choke submission, 137 of the second. Uh, interesting little fight here. Nice finish, actually. Um, they Gorimbo gets a takedown. Fletcher fights up to his feet, cracks him with an elbow. Gorimbo drops for a double leg and is a little bit hurt. Fletcher grabs the guillotine as he goes down, rolls into mount with it. Um Fletcher is a little bit, um do I say this? He's still a little raw. Right? Like th- there's a rawness to his game. But Grimbo is a guy who um he reps Zimbabwe, he fights out of South Africa. Had a pretty good record coming into this, a lot of submission wins. My hunch and to stress this is a hunch, I have not watched this gentleman's career extensively. My hunch is he fought a lot of more regional, fi- he fought a lot of lower level guys, and his grappling was better than theirs. But it's not quite UFC welterweight level grappling, and he doesn't. Like... So again, that's just kind of my hunch here. Like there's some stuff he did in this fight that if he was fighting someone less, ta- like the next step down in general competition, he would have won. Without too I'd to say without too much difficulty. that's a bit of a miss sell, but like there's some techniques he used and some positions he found himself in that a lot of lower level guys don't know how to deal with. And it's pretty clear he's able to work from there. Fletcher knew how to deal with them. So Uh, not again, not a bad fight for as long as it lasted, and kicking everything off, Clayton Carpenter defeated Juan Camillo Ronderos via rear Naked Choke, three thirteen of the first. Um, Ronderos was the one who kind of forced the grappling. Carpenter was just better there. A uh, fun little flyweight fight. You get some nice scrambles out of this one. Um, Carpenter at one point had a... He had the back. Um, mean he obviously did when he got the finish. So, oh, sorry, he was on his... Yeah, sorry. He was on his back. Had an armbar attack. Pretty nice one. Ronderos is able to... I think it's the hitchhiker escape where you kind of walk around the outside. I might be misnaming that, but then again, a bunch of different schools have different names for these things, so again, don't please don't kill me. Probably some of you that know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you who are going, no, that's not the hitchhiker, that's the whatever. So, please forgive me. Um, the escape in this, the, the relevant escape is, you know, the guy starts going for your arm, and you walk your hips and body around their head. So if you've got my right arm, I would kind of try to rotate so I'm stepping left foot over your head and then right foot to follow it to turn and release the pressure. So he hits that escape. Carpenter sticks with it, uses it a little bit to sweep, comes up half looking like he's going for an omoplata, and instead jumps to the back, gets the choke. It was a nice little wrestling sequence. Uh, fun little flyweight fight. So Anyway, that was the card. Uh, your bonuses. Again, I mentioned already Fight of the Night, Sadakov and Elder. No issues. Performances went to Evan Blanchfield and uh, Myra Buena Silva. I am not going to complain about any of that. You could have gone to Linz, and I don't think that would have been wrong either. But uh, I don't think anybody got screwed here. I have no issue. I, I, like I said, I'm a sucker for a knee bar. So seeing Buena Silva get one, nice. And Blanchfield's, like Blanchfield's performance over Andrade—that definitely deserved recognition. So, good on that. All right, that was the event. If you're curious, you can find my live coverage, or my you know, live coverage round-by-round round scoring in my full report in the MMAZone411Mania.com. Always appreciated if you do. All right, that took longer than I thought. Moving on, UFC on ESPN plus 78. Uh, what do we got? Okay, you know what? I was maybe a little bit overly harsh on this card. I mean, I'm still not, I'm still not j- turning backflips or anything, but not what I would put as the main event either. Uh, but your main event, light heavyweights, Nikita Krylov and Ryan Span. Um, Span is coming off of a good performance when he knocked out Dominic Reyes, who he missed weight for it. Span did, which is never good. Um, but Span's got a very good UFC record actually. He's only lost to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. Uh Walker's a wild man and Smith's still kind of a durable veteran. I actually am not sure that I would pick Smith in a rematch. Span in his last couple of fights in particular, again the Kutalaba and the Reyes one. He's finished both he finished both of them in the first round and said something interesting when talking about... If I can get my cat to stop making noise. He said something interesting in the aftermath of that win over Ray. Uh, he mentioned that he hadn't done a tremendous amount of training the way you should be training for a fight up in his career up until this point, that he never had a real camp. If that's true, and it very well might be, And if he's willing to, if he's in a place now where he can commit to a good, a solid eight-week camp for every fight, and what he did to Reyes is kind of indicative of what that looks like from him, performance-wise. There's a lot of ifs there, I'm aware of that. But that's, uh, there's a lot of potential in Span, if that's the case. If what we'd seen before was kind of his ceiling, well, maybe not quite so much. But if what we saw before was... For whatever reason, you know, job... Uh, life... Because most fighters can't actually... Uh, you know, most fighters don't actually live on what they make fighting. You just don't make enough money. So most of them keep some kind of other job or some kind of other deal to help them pay bills. And if if you got bills to pay, you got bills to pay, man. That's the long and the short of that. Uh, but if he's now in a position like to really tap into his full athletic potential, he might have a run in him. And I mean that legitimately. He might have a legitimate run. Um, Nikita Krylov is going to test that. Krylov's a guy who years ago looked like uh, somebody who might have something for the division. Um, yeah, he had a little, you know, was a little bit back and forth early, but went on a pretty good run before losing to Misesherkinov. He then requested his release from the UFC, uh, went through mostly Fight Nights Global, comes back, uh, I kind of thought he beat Glover Teixeira, actually, in 2019. Uh, he got a weird loss to Paul Craig. Rebounded by knocking out Alexander Gustafson, which doesn't mean much in 2022, but he did it. Beats Volk Demir. Uzdemir. Um, this is a little bit do or die for Krylov, and it's a... Because if Krylov loses here, I think we've definitively seen his ceiling. With Span, this is the opportunity to prove the direction you're going. I don't think this is do or die for him if he loses. But if he's re- like if everything he said before is true and he's really ready to make a serious run, this is your opportunity to make a big statement. I uh, said that a little bit about Reyes, but more so here, not just because Krylov has more wins recently than Dominic Reyes, but because you're now like proving your concept. And for how they match up, they're both large men. Krylov probably going to try and try and wrestle this a little bit.
1: Span's probably got more power. This is the first five-round fight for Span, I believe. I'm going to double-check this. He's
0: gone the distance. He's gone five rounds before, back in 2015.
1: Um, He's had, again, so he he had a couple of um, regional title
0: fights, only one of which went five. The first five-round fight in a long
1: time. Rylov's last five round fight. Um, let's have a look. The last scheduled one would have been eighteen when he beat Fabio Maldonado. Uh, He's not been in a main event in the UFC until now. Right? And he got it part of the reason he got into the UFC was on the back
0: of like all of his fights ending in the first round, win, loser, draw. Well, only win or lose to that point, but they were all first round affairs. So the cardio for both men will be an interesting kind of point, assuming it's necessary. It's an interesting question mark.
1: Uh, these guys both southpaw. I feel like. Span is Southpaw, but I might be wrong. No, Reyes is Southpaw. Uh, but Krylov might be. This is a tough one. This is, this is a tough one to pick. I think I'm going to lean towards Span.
0: I just... I don't know that I've ever seen the consistent. The consistency out of Krylov that would lead me to feel comfortable picking him here. Uh, that said, it's hardly like this is unwinnable for him, so... Middleweight as your co-main event, currently. Um Andre Muniz and Brendan Allen. Good fight here, actually. Um Allen's got a solid UFC record, only losing to Sean
1: Strickland and Chris Curtis. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Um... Whereas, this is a bit of a step up for him, though. Whereas Muniz, uh,
0: he hasn't lost in the UFC at all. Um, His last loss was to Azamat Mirzakhanov in 2016. Good grief, that's a long time. Uh, And he's been wrecking some people in the UFC. Um, You know, broke uh, Jacare's arm. Did kind of the same thing to Eric Andrews. Didn't break his arm, but like hit a very similar arm bar. Uh, wiped out Uriah Hall. That was a wipeout, right? It's 276. Double-check the scoring on that. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't dislike Allen. He's got a fair amount of upside, but I think he's a bit in over his head here against Muniz. Might be wrong, but I feel safe picking Muniz. Uh, Muniz is very good. And might be one of those guys who helps revitalize middleweight, which is not in the best spot. Uh, heavyweight, speaking of not the best spot. Heavyweights, Augusto Sakai and Dontel Mays. I assume this is a loser leaves town match. Mays is... Uh, Mays has had some weirdness in the UFC. Went 0-2 to start. Now... He debuted against Cyril Gon, so you know. not a lot of shame in losing to that guy. Lots to Rodrigo Nascimento, but he rebounded okay with wins over Roque Martinez and Josh Parisian. Had a split decision loss to Hamdi Abdelwahab that I thought he won. And then that got changed to a no contest anyway after uh, Abdelwahab failed a drug test. Uh, This might be... So he might still have some wiggle room. Sakai had a good start to his UFC run, but he's lost four in a row. Now, this is somewhat understandable given the level of opposition. Lost to Alistair Overeem. Fought him into the fifth round, actually, before getting stopped. And Overeem in 2020... Oh, by the way... Overeem was cornering one of the guys at the event last night. Dude is deflated. Um, I mean, he's still not exactly a small guy, but, you know, those of us that remember the Uberreem, he ain't that anymore. Um, anyway, lost to Overeem. Lost to Jarzinho Rosenstroke, who has kind of bottomed out a little bit, but this was a Rosenstreik kind of rise. Lost a tie to Tai Tuivasa, who, you know, has had a lot of success, and then lost to Sergey Spivak, who might be the next big thing in the division. Certainly one of them. So you can understand a little bit how you might go 0-4 against that lineup of talent. You do still have to win at some point, so he's probably in win or go home territory. Would be my guess. Um, I'm gonna. I, I can't pick Augusto Sakai at this point. Like, I might be wrong. He might be plenty good enough to beat Dantel Mays. I'm gonna pick Mays. I just... I, I, I'm i not really picking Sakai at this point. Alright, I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, but the return of Tatiana Suarez. Uh, she'll be taking on Montana De La Rosa. Now, Suarez a very gifted wrestler. I mean, she almost went to the
1: Olympics. Um, before that neck injury. So,
0: and cancer too. Like, the neck injury revealed her cancer issue, so. But she's, she's a very good wrestler, very good uh, heavy top player. The problem is, again, for her, it's been activity due to injury issues. She's undefeated, 8-0. But, if you look at her frequency of fights, like she fought in July of 2016, her UFC debut. Doesn't fight until November of 17. Doesn't fight then fights May of 18, September of 18. Doesn't fight again until June of 19. So there's some stretches here, and she hasn't fought since June 8th of 2019, so a lengthy layoff. That said, if she is healthy, she is plenty good enough to beat Montana De La Rosa. Um, Montana has been very up and down in the UFC. Uh, I again, I have no problem picking Tatiana Suarez here uh, if she's healthy. I'm going to assume she's healthy. Uh, if she's real rusty, De La Rosa might might test her in a few places but my hunch is Suarez wins this there's not a lot of women in the UFC in general who wrestled at the level that Suarez did Uh,
1: so let's see moving on Mike Malott and Johan Lanis. I think that's a Malott pick assuming I am remembering him correctly which I would like to double
0: check um I am not. I know I've seen him before, but I'm not remembering him correctly. A lot is eight one and one. He won his UFC debut. Oh yeah, uh yeah, he beat Mickey
1: Gall. Vaguely recall that. Um Lanus. Lanus, I remember. Uh one and one in the UFC. Probably Malat there, I still think.
0: But yeah, he's not who I was thinking of. I, I Not I've seen a picture of. I'm like, oh yeah, you, sort of. Like, you can vaguely recall his fight. But I had a very different guy pop into my head when I just read his name, so. Uh, let's see, what do we got? Um, Jasmine Jasdavicius and Gabriel Fren- Gabriela Fernandez, excuse me.
1: Um, Fernandez uh not fought in the u f c yet this is her debut on a pretty good winning streak though uh Jazz davisius has fought in the u f c one and one i don't know. Like this is seven and two versus eight and one, you can kind of flip a coin here a little bit. Uh, let's go with Fernandez, actually. Why not? Uh, Jordan Levitt
0: will fight Victor Martinez. This will take place at a lightweight. Levitt. He's had a weird time in the UFC. He's a weird fighter, and I don't mean that unkindly. Just a weird fighter
1: coming off of that loss to Patty Pimblett. Um Victor Martinez, by contrast, he is 13 and 4
0: coming into his debut had a contender series win. He's got a pretty decent
1: winning streak, what is that? 7. Yeah, that's 7. Um Ah, man, lightweight's a tough division, man. There's some lightweights who you've never heard of who
0: will ruin guys in the UFC. It's a tough division. I think we're going to lean towards Levitt, I guess. But he's, again, man, he's just kind of a weird fighter. I, I wouldn't gamble on this fight one way or the other. That's what lightweight. Joe Selecki and Carl Deaton third. Uh, Selecki has some wins in the UFC only loss is a split decision to George uh, Jared Gordon
1: had a pretty decent fight with Jim Miller actually um, and his opponent mr. Deaton is 17 and 5 she's been around
0: uh, first fight in the UFC. Had a loss in his
1: P- uh, PFL fight last year. Two years ago, excuse me. I'm going to pick Selecki. Feels like a Selecki pick. Uh, let's see. We have an
0: international affair. Sorry. Next fight after this. We have a catchweight fight between Ode Osborne and Charles Johnson. Who took this fight on short notice? Mr. Johnson. Um Oday Osborne was supposed to fight Dennis Bondar. Uh Johnson took the fight on short notice. Fair enough. Um Osborne has looked pretty good. He's eleven and five. Um how's he done in the UFC? He's three and two. Sorry. Uh three and three. That lost to Brian Kelleher. He was looking okay against
1: Nam before he got knocked out. Um, Johnson. Johnson's been with the UFC for a bit. Um
0: his win over Jimmy Flick was pretty darn impressive actually. He did that last
1: did about a month ago. Um beat Jalga's Zumagulov. I thought he lost that fight. I thought Zumagulov beat him. Um, I think I'm gonna go with Johnson here, but that's, uh, that's not the worst fight in the world.
0: I had a lightweight, Rafael Alves and Nurulu Aliyev. We have Brazil
1: versus Turkey? Mr. Aliyev. Tajikistan. There's a thing in the middle of that.
0: Um, his nickname is the Tajik Eagle. So, yeah, he is. So might be a first, actually. He might be the first Tajikistani in the UFC. Have to double check that, but I'm fairly sure. Anyway, he is 8-0 coming into his UFC debut. Um, Alves is a tough draw. Alves is a real tough draw. He's His record is 20-11, and which isn't the best. But that dude is a tough out. I mean his UFC record is only one and two. But he fought Damir Magulov, Mark Jacqueszi, and Drew Dober. Like that's a rough three fight introduction to the UFC. Yes, Magulov it's unfortunate he's looked like he was gonna retire because uh that guy was looking good. And you know, Dober's on a bit of a career run. You know, Giacasi, Not an easy... Not the easiest out in the world. So, this is, um... This might be a bit much this early for Aliyev. I'm gonna pick Alves, actually. I mean, that said, though, man...
1: Aliyev is... Aliyev? Aliev is... Aliev? A-L-I-E-V? Yeah. So, Aliyev. Um... He might say, he might pull this one out, but
0: Alves Alves is a handful. Um uh, next up, yeah. women's bantamweight. We have Haley Cowan and Aylin Perez. Perez fights out of Argentina. She is seven and two, I believe. Lost her UFC debut, I remembered correctly. Uh, she had a fight with Zara Fain
1: canceled. Cowan, I believe, also making her UFC debut. Uh, Yes, indeedy. On a two-fight winning streak, had a split decision win on the Contender Series. Again, you can kind of toss a coin there. Uh, Identical records. The UFC experience for Perez not going to play too much of a factor here. Eh, Cowan, why not? Yeah, I don't gamble based on my predict picks for some of these guys, please.
0: Whatever you do. Uh, bantamweight Garrett Armfield and Jose Johnson. Armfield, did we lose a fight? Sorry, I have a listed here fight between Eric Gonzalez and Trevor Peak. Not sure it's listed over here. So, who knows? Uh, Johnson and Armfield. What do we got here? Armfield. He's fought in the UFC before, right? He looks familiar. No? Yes. Lost to David Onama in his UFC debut. It was July of last year.
1: Uh, Johnson, I do not believe has fought in the UFC. Uh, he has not. He is, however, coming in on a three-fight winning streak. Um, I might actually pick Johnson here. Um, Armfield... This first fight at bantamweight. I feel like the Onama fight was at 145. Yeah, it was. I mean, he took that fight on short notice, I seem to recall. With him cutting down to bantamweight for maybe the first time. I'm going
0: to favor Johnson, actually, so that's kind of my my reasoning there, if you want to give any credence to it. All right, that will be coming your way. I don't know that this Gonzalez and Peak fight is going to happen. If it does,
1: uh, for the sake of argument, let's pick Gonzalez, but you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, it looks like there was a lot of reshuffling there that
0: led to that fight being made, so, go with, Gonz- I'll go with Gonzalez, but, eh. All right, so, Saturday, I will be covering that in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, per usual, as always, stop by, say hello, it is deeply appreciated. All right, let's talk, let's talk Islam Mikashev drama, shall we? So I mentioned a little bit um, Volkanovski retained the number one pound for pound ranking despite losing in their head to head fight. And this caused a little this caused another look at the UFC ranking system and the fact that it's done by a panel of like eight people. It was more, but a few of them got bored doing it, apparently, and just stopped. Is done by a panel of people, several of whom work for publications that are defunct. I I've said this before. I don't I very rarely say of myself I'm more qualified to do something. I'm more qualified to rank UFC fighters than the people doing it. I have no doubt in my mind. I watch more MMA than they do. I think about it more than they do. And I'm probably more qualified to do that than they are. Uh, But, again, this caused a stir. as As a bunch of fighters were reminded that a small handful of people, several of whom, again, are attached to publications or outlets that no longer exist, are determining things that affect their careers. Yeah, that sucks. And, like I said, if you, if you do have Volkanovsky still as the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, I can see the reasoning. Pound-for-pound pound is literally determined by the criteria you use, and nothing else. That's the full... I mean, the entire existence of pound-for-pound pound came up... The term came about because boxing writers were trying to figure out how to explain to people that Sugar Ray Robinson is the best fighter in the world, and everyone else going, but he's not a heavyweight. So well, they came up with the term no pound for pound he's the best fighter because skill for skill he is the best. I mean it, I understand kind of their frustration trying to explain to people I've had to ex- I've had to explain this to people in the current day and age that the best fighters in the world are not heavyweights. Sometimes they are, but if you want to look at skill, no Sugar Ray Robinson was a marvel. He is If you tell me that Sugar Ray Robinson, mind you, not any of the other Sugar Rays that have followed. If you tell me that Ray Robinson is the greatest boxer of all time, I am not going to argue with you. I mean, I might for fun, but, like, I'm not, uh, that's a valid pick. I mean, even Muhammad Ali, as braggadocious as he was, said, no, I, I call myself the greatest heavyweight of all time when I say I'm the greatest. The greatest boxer of all time is Ray Robinson. So, again, for whatever it's... So, pound for pound, weird distinction and to have to try and make. Makashev, um, just, I think his line afterwards was, I didn't expect to be treated fairly. Look what they've done to my fellow Russians lately. Oh, boy. uh, yeah. Not the best look, my guy. Not the best look. Um, But the other drama surrounding Islam Makashev came about because Dan Hooker, tweeted that Makashev used an IV to rehydrate after the weigh-ins for UFC 284. Here's here's kind of how this played out. He tweeted that, and a bunch of people started making noise. Now Dan Hooker provided no evidence to support his claim, mind you. Just said, hey, this happened. And people ran with it, because of course they did. Um Makashev, I think the only thing he said if assuming it was him and not Ali Abdelaziz on his Twitter account then you just you should have to call, you should have to be called to answer for those kind of accusations and that's a sentiment I actually agree with here if you have evidence of your claim Mr Hooker bring it forward Um but what sort of con What sort of complicated issues was Ali Abdelaziz. That... uh, I don't have anything nice to say about him, so I'm not going to say anything. Tweeted, and then deleted. No, it's fine. You can rehydrate up to like three liters as long as a doctor's doing it. And I've got news I'm going to expose everybody. Blah, 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 blah. Yakety-schmackety. Usual bullshit. Sorry. Try not to swear a lot. But stuff that comes out of like I actually think Dana might have a more honest track record o- than Ali Abdullah at this point. If we're talking just like honesty in the public space. Anyway, um he deleted this tweet re- fairly quickly but not before it got out there. And uh well, turns out no, he was not correct. You can't rehydrate that much because We must further complicate things here, mustn't we? So Jeff Nowitzki, that phallic-shaped individual, comes out and says, we changed the rules in 2019 to allow rehydration, I think it was 200 milliliters? Might have been like up to 200 milliliters, two or three, somewhere in that range. Uh, Provided it's administered by a doctor
1: or qualified nurse. And, you know, we've changed the rules. Now, I'm not saying they didn't change the rules in 2019. Okay? I know
0: three major media personalities in the MMA space who double-checked this, by the way. Uh, I believe... I know Luke Thomas did. I think Ariel Halwani mentioned this. I'm not sure about Helwani. Um Third. The name escapes me. Forgive me. Name escapes me. So let me go with two at a bare minimum who I know double-checked this. And I think there's a third, but if I can't remember, I'm not going to try and name it. Who went back and double-checked, and in 2019, if the rules were changed, which they may well have been no one was told like the there were no press releases there was there's nothing about any change to this policy and this rule set on any MMA news site or from news
1: personalities that year if fighters had actually been I don't know if they didn't just change this and say, "Well, the UFC will let the fighters know." Maybe?
0: Or like this is the dumbest thing. Like if you okay. If you want fighters to know something, believe it or not, the best way to go about it is to make noise about it on, you know, Twitter or some other social media platform. This is how this is how you get in contact with fighters most of the time it seems. It's how you get in contact with a lot of people. Like a lot of email accounts go unchecked for months, if not years. You shoot someone, you tag someone in Twitter, shoot them a DM, they'll respond to you fairly quickly. Um, so, if they, so they changed the rules apparently in 2019, and just we're just now hearing about it in a public way. So, if Makachev did use an IV to rehydrate there's no evidence that he did it would have been in line with the USADA protocols that some fighters knew about and some didn't but it was apparently again within their protocols but was all done like behind the scenes
1: four years ago and then further complicating this the Western Australia uh, Commission was it? The Western Australia uh, Combat Sanctioning Body. I for, sorry, I, I forget the. I forget what the initialization stand for. I believe it's was the WASAC. Um.
0: Anyways, the Western it, it's the Western Australia governing body for combat sports. Comes out and says, "We don't care what USADA says. We don't allow you to rehydrate with IVs." Because, jurisdictionally, nobody knows what the heck is going on. All of this, somewhat, somehow managing to ignore the fact that there's
1: still zero evidence of Mikashev actually engaging in any wrongdoing. Uh, you know, the machinery of the UFC is very robust. But
0: sometimes you look at the operation, like the minutiae of operations, and you just kind of have to throw your hands up in the air going, how does this work? This isn't quite like Bismarckian diplomacy. It's not that nuanced. But this stuff is like held together in some places with like duct tape and chewing gum, it feels like. What are we doing here? And by the way, who suffers for this? Only the fighters. So, I'm not accusing Mikashev of anything by the way, like this is that's just the drama. There's no evidence that he did anything wrong zero and if you don't have evidence um what is it Hitchens razor? Claims made without evidence can be dismissed without evidence yeah, so who the heck knows all right That's all I've got for the moment mean a little bit of pound for pound stuff because Mikashev... And then the, dude, the much ado about nothing, (laughs) right? Like a Dan Hooker, somewhat innocuous tweet that spun up a thing out of nowhere. And that's what I've got. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is going on. And if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alrighty. Nope. Nothing worth discussing in the MMA world, at least. So into plugs this week on damn you Hollywood my movie review podcast myself Mark Radlich Alexis Haina and I believe Zachary Strobel we will be discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Um, I haven't seen it yet so perhaps my raspberry is premature but I I doubt it I will be seeing it before I review it of course because I am an ethical individual in that respect So tune in for that, if you're so inclined. We'll be talking about it. The craft, our opinions, the money, the critics, all of it. All the good stuff over on Damn You Hollywood. It's a fun show. I hope you check it out. My other coverage for the week, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, per usual. I think MLW Fusion is back this week. If it is, I will be covering it. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be Thursday if it is. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. Uh, gonna see how things play out after the Elimination Chamber event that was yesterday. And, oh, the heartbroken fans. You know, if you're like me, and you love a good villain, and I do, I used to have a podcast about it, in fact, watching Roman Reigns kind of gaslight and trash talk Sammy Zayn's wife as he's beating the crap out of him was just chef's kiss stuff, man just wonderful uh, so yeah uh, i'll be covering smackdown on friday tune in and of course the ufc event on saturday so that's it for me this week next week review of ufc on espn plus 78 and we will be previewing ufc 285 john jones versus cyril Gane for the heavyweight title Women's flyweight title on the line, Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso, Shavkat Rachmanov, and Jeff Neal got rebooked for here, the UFC debut of Bo Nickel. Boy, that is a good c co- you know what? 284 had had some up and down stuff on it. 285. Like the not the early prelims, but the regular prelims and the main card. You could take pretty much any of these, and if we take out the title fights... Okay, you won't do Bo Nichols' UFC debut as a main event. That's a bit much. But... That one's happening. Um, Mateos Gamrod and Jalen Turner could main event a fight night, especially an Apex one. Uh, Derek Brunson and Dracus Duplessis could. You could maybe stretch and do one for Viviani Yardoujo and Amanda Hibas. Uh, again, like Rachmanov and Neil could easily, easily main event a fight night. You might even could, yeah, Garbrandt and Jones might be a bit of a stretch. I mean, Garbrandt still got name value, but boy, does he need a win. Uh, anywho, full preview next week. Hope you'll be back for that. Until then... Thank you, as always, for listening. Deeply appreciate all of you.
1: Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.